tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Besides the Lakers and the Warriors, what teams do you think this deficits the most and what teams do you think this benefits the most? I think the teams that can get kind of dinged by this a little bit are teams like the Celtics, the Bucks, uh teams that have been they've been in the tax but they've never been at the, you know, the Warriors, Clippers, Lakers levels of the tax. So I think that's where 17.5 million over the tax line, that's a lot, but it's not like crazy uh right now i think we're sitting with six teams above that so we may see those teams say all right we gotta let probably not one of the star guys but we gotta move on from you know one of these kind of mid mid-range salary type players just to rebalance so we have flexibility because otherwise it's we're really locked into this roster teams that are maybe a little older so like Dallas is slightly older with some parts of their roster. So like they're in a tricky spot. The Bucks definitely older with parts of their roster. They may look at it like Chris Middleton's going to be a free agent. And they may say, hey, we re-signed Chris Middleton to a four or five year max deal or anything close to that. This is it. This is our team for the next, you know, several years, unless we make trades. And they may say, all right, you know, he's had injury issues. Maybe they've seen something in his play where they're like, we're, we're, we'll be okay. We'll go a different direction. So I think they're going to be, be different. I think the teams that benefit, it's the teams that I think have pretty promising young cores and then can add to, to those guys uh, here while they're still on the lower end salary-wise. So I already mentioned Oklahoma City, but Orlando's in that boat. Houston and Detroit, if they can flip things well, somebody's going to get Victor Wembanyama. That's like – already a huge you know add to your roster and you're gonna flip the spurs have generally been pretty smart in those situations so they may be able to turn things around so i think those teams that have pretty good young cores that you can see all right i can see that being a playoff core in the next couple seasons because what they have the ability to do is go add talent to those groups before they get super expensive and fully lock into what they have now so i think they're the kind of teams that'll benefit a little bit here 
even if they tried to go after a big free agent and they didn't have the salaries to match? Yeah, I think so, because I think what you're going to see in in those like, again, I, I keep using the Thunder as an example here, but it's it's because I think they're the best one in the league. Yeah, Really good young players, pretty full roster, right? They, they don't have a ton of roster holes. It's not like going into this summer, they have to fill 10 roster spots. They really only have about two or three open roster spots. They're going to have a, almost $30 million in cap space to do it with. So I think back to, remember a few years ago when Philadelphia was like, all right, it's time to start winning. They went out and they signed J.J. Redick to a one-year $19 million deal. It was like, what a ridiculous overpay for J.J. Redick. Well, Philly looked at it and said, look, we only need like two guys. We have all this cap space. Let's give a whole bunch of money to J.J. Redick, who proved to be a really good fit, helped them get into the postseason, and then – they, that's how we're going to do it. I think you're going to see Oklahoma City say, there's one guy that we really target, we think fits what we need, and they'll be able to go get that guy, and they may be able to overpay him for a year or two. As long as you do it for a year or two, not the end of the world because the NBA just moves so quickly with the way they'll turn over rosters. As long as you're not locking into a terrible deal for four or five years, you're going to be fine. You'll be able to move on from it and get out of it quickly enough. So I think that's what you're going to see as teams like that do those kind of things where it's like, all right, let's, let's, let's kind of go here. And I think you're going to see some free agents are going to look and say, Oh, that team got one Binyala. All right. I can be the guy now me and him. We're now taking this team to the next level into the playoffs and all that. And a lot of these players, they love nothing more than like, Hey, I'm the conquering hero who like, you know, I wrote in here and you were awful. And now we're a playoff team, you know, shower me, you know, with love. And it's, yeah, you were a part of it, but there are other reasons too. But that's something that, you know, we know free agents love, especially if the money's basically the same just about everywhere for them. Yeah, like a veteran contract for someone who you think can be a table setter, a la like what they what the Thunder kind of got in Chris Paul on a short-term yeah. deal kind of a deal. I am curious, though, because this feels the most murky, and it feels the most – Murky in terms of conflicts of interest, potentially, but also murky in terms of we don't really know. Now players are going to be, current players are going to be able to invest in NBA and WNBA teams. But from what I kind of can gather, that this is only happening through the NBA PA selected private equity firm. Like, what are the logistics of that? Yeah, it seems, so this is something I, I, I try not to speak too in-depth about things I don't really understand. But I did a lot of asking because I was very confused on this because I was like, wait, so they're going to because the way it initially came out was like they could get ownership stakes. And my initial question was, so if I play for the Lakers and I own three percent of the team and they trade me to the Rockets, what happens to my three percent? Like, where does that go? And then I, I through conversations, through subsequent reporting, my understanding is what's going to happen is it sounds like there's going to be portions kind of carved out of different places within the league as a whole and within the individual teams inclusive of the WNBA as well where players will be able to say hey a portion of what you're giving me in my next contract it'll run through the through the NBPA who will manage it as a collective um, through whoever they choose to manage it uh, probably no different than a lot of the ways are like 401ks are run and those kind of things but it'll be we've chosen them to run this and then that's where it'll be hey as long as we all keep doing what we should do this should be a rising tide lifts all boats situation where yeah the teams are going to go up in value they're going to be better but my stake in this is going to go up too and i have more of a stake 
and I feel like more of a partner with the league and with the teams as opposed to just a contract employee where I'm just, you know, all right, I'm under contract and this is what it is. It's going to be, we can really push this up uh, from here. So I think that's going to be kind of how that works. I'm very curious to dive deeper into that when we get the actual CBA to understand it more fully. I am curious too. And obviously you, you probably don't know, but the first thing that comes to mind outside of just, what teams are going to be in that fund? Is it going to be every team? What happens when teams get sold? Do they distribute that that wealth across the ownership group? But also, like, how does that affect the WNBA? Do we see the WNBA salary cap now explode and invest in more of these young and up-and-coming players? Specifically, you're watching players like Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark bring in three and a half million viewers on TV. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, Clay- Caitlin Clark's not going to want to get paid $270,000 on a super max deal when she makes like quadruple that in NIL money right now. Yeah, for sure. I I think what we're going to see with the WNBA and we've, we're starting to see this happen little bits, like little incremental bits is salaries are going to start creeping up more. I think we're also going to see probably expansion of the WNBA where there's going to be new franchises because the single thing, biggest thing I hear is, there's a ton of you know really good players out there that are buried on these benches because there's so few WNBA teams yeah. in comparison. So what happens is I think you combine those two things. And I know one of the big things that they um, be talking to different people within the NBA is kind of the uh, governing body of the WNBA, if you will. One of the big things I've heard through them is, we don't want WNBA players to have to go to Russia in the WNBA offseason to play. We want them to play in the WNBA, then play national team commitments, just like NBA players do. And that's it. We don't want them having to play in two professional leagues just to be able to make a living. Like, that's not where they want it to be. And I, th- I think eventually we'll get there. And I think this is part of it. We've seen countless NBA players, especially more in the recent years, come out in support of the WNBA. So I think part of it is you're going to see them, hey, why they got roped into this is I'm not just investing in the NBA. I'm investing in the WNBA and the game of basketball as a whole. Yeah. I'm curious also about the the players who are now able to sign non-gambling endorsement deals with sports <laughs> betting companies make sense of that for me yeah this was one where i saw a lot of reaction where people were like oh no and it i saw a couple people tweeting like the the tony memes from blue chips um you know of like you what do you mean you took money you know and it was you know it was only one time coach you know and it's one time and like i think where this would be a problem is if player X, you know, tweets out, hey, bet on me to get over 20 points tonight. That's where it's like, oh, that's shaky, right? Because then it's, because then is it going to be, you know, the gambling company says, hey, you know, we took way too many people betting you over. Can you score 19 just to make sure we're all okay here? Like, that's where it gets real messy. I think it's probably just going to be, hey, you want to bet? Bet with, you know, this company. And that's just going to be the extent of it. That's what I think it'll be. It maybe extends into, you know, Hey, you know, I can't bet on the NBA, but I love to bet on, you know, uh, the NFL or, you know, well, whatever it is, or, you know, whatever it may Casino be. Casino games that, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we're going to see things like that, uh, where it'll be a player will be in the commercials for, 
you know, one of the big companies, but it's not going to be specific to like, Hey, bet on my team to win the championship or anything like that. Cause I think then you run into competitive integrity issues and all sorts of stuff that I don't think the NBA wants to be involved in. Yeah. I was curious about that too. Do you think there's a possibility we start seeing these quote unquote endorsements, like almost like Manning cast type stuff? where you've got like a DraftKings has a Draymond Green and a Charles Barkley All-Star Weekend second screen experience, or maybe now FanDuel sponsors, you know, the podcast P type of a thing. Yeah, I think we could see definitely things like that because I think the NBA realizes they're smart at the end of the day and the MBPA. There's money to be made, so let's go make more of it, right? Let's go get our chunk of it by hey if we can increase these things and we can do that i mean we're seeing in arenas all over the country we're popping up these you know what you know uh, where gambling is legal sports books it sounds like right on site where it's like hey you can make your bets here and i know in the states where it's legal there's all sorts of stuff being pumped into you know hey grab your phone and you'll make a bet on the game and those kind of things so i I think i think we're gonna see them lean into this i don't think it's going to be you know, man, this is a proliferation of a million guys, you know, go gamble. I think it'll be probably a little bit of a slow burn, but eventually it's going to get there much like it has become over the last couple of years, where it's just becoming more and more ingrained in the everyday life of sports fans. I forgot to ask you this to circle back really fast about the ownership element and we'll move forward on the uh, award stuff, but is it possible with how we're seeing the ownership stake work that a LeBron James playing in the NBA could own an expansion team or a part of an expansion team? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where right now I don't think think that's something they're set up to do. So we're going to see if that's where this goes. My guess is this whole invest in the league is a gateway to direct ownership stakes in teams. And I think that may be where this goes uh, going forward. I mean, I think it was, if I remember, I'm going way back here and, you know, a completely different environment. But when like Magic Johnson came out of retirement, he had to give up his ownership stake in the Lakers because he was going to play again and those kind of things. So that's where it becomes pieces of things like that, where I think right now that's probably not, they're trying to do it through this more general investment in the league as a whole. But I think this is the, let's start here. And then that'll be the gateway to eventually, hey, you want to own a chunk of the team you're playing for? Yeah, we can make that work and we can figure that out. Obviously, there's going to have to be a lot of guardrails on that because, you know, what if you're traded? What if you sign somewhere else? What if you do this? Because they're not going to have somebody owning, you know, hey, I own 3% of seven different teams. Like, that's not going to happen. But but we'll see where, where that goes. And, and I think that's a very interesting way to kind of, you know, build a different form of engagement into the franchise as a whole, because now you're, again, you're, you're not just an employee. You're, you're, you're part of it, right? You're, you're part of the whole deal all the way through. Yeah. I want to talk about this because I think it's under, under discussed. The players now in this new CBA have to play at least 65 games to be eligible for any NBA awards as well as all NBA. So who wanted this? Yeah, I think this is probably one where collectively both sides, the NBA and MBPA, heard the screaming about load management and 
I think the biggest place it comes in is, you know, I, I, I'm based out of Orlando. It's the Orlando fan who bought tickets to see LeBron one time a year. And uh, I played last night. I'm not playing tonight. Right in Orlando, they get a lot of guys on back to backs because of Miami. They make the Miami Orlando trip and they're on one end or the other. And that's how it goes. So I think what we see in these positions is I think a lot of these, these, it just gets so loud that it was probably a, we got to do something. Now, you tell the MBPA, they've stood up and screamed from the rooftops. It's not the players. The players do not want to sit, right? If they're healthy, they generally want to play. It's the teams, and they're not saying the teams are wrong in this, but it's the teams that are mostly making this these decisions. And that's, that's what I think also gets lost a little bit here is, I think it's hard to, we, Right, the teams are the permanent part in your life as a fan, right? And it's 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 an, that's a nice way of saying we root for laundry, but I think that's true to an extent. Of like, I'm always going to root for this team, and the players may change, so I'm not necessarily going to attach to to the player. And now, I think we're seeing different forms of fandom where some are attaching to a player, and then player changes teams, they follow right along with the new team. But I think what's happened here is the overall load management blame has fallen so much on the players. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Now I think what the league's trying to do is say, Hey, can we curb this? Because teams are now down to somewhere between 12 and 16 back to backs per season. So 65 games, you want to sit all the back to backs out one half of them. You're good. Sit them out. You don't have to play and you'll still qualify and still be eligible for postseason awards. I think it's more of, and I'm very curious because all the reporting keeps coming with there's conditions around it. Well, what are those conditions? Like, like, well, what does that mean? Is there like, well, X amount of games that the team determines the player can't play like they, those don't count. I don't know how that's going to work, but I, it's one of those things I'm very curious to see, like, you know, what happens and, we all know there's going to be a massive uproar the first time somebody has a great season but only played 64 games, and people are going to absolutely lose their minds, and it'll be, you know, well, they were the real MVP or they were the real first-team player. So I, I I don't know, but I think this was a first attempt at, hey, let's try to get these guys on the, on the court more often, and then we'll see how it comes together. I kind of have my doubts that's going to be how it plays out. Yeah, and I saw that, I believe it was last night, Kawhi Leonard only played a half because he's playing Yeah, it was on, two nights ago. Yeah, two yeah. nights ago because he was going to play on a back-to-back. So yeah. do you – and also remember Draymond Green, he came in for one possession to be there for Clay, and yep. then that obviously changed a lot of things for sports better who took, who, who took Draymond Green unders because they heard yep. whispers of this. Is, yep. is that something that you think is how teams or players are going to try to skirt the rules? That's where I think the conditions may come in because the league doesn't want to turn it into a circus and a farce of like, hey, you know, tonight 15 star players checked in or started and then they all subbed out on the first whistle because it was just there. Now, like Drew Holiday did it last year. The Bucks put him in a game for I think it was like eight seconds or whatever. He played the tip, he committed a foul and he got out of there to earn a bonus because he needed to hit the game's played threshold for his bonuses. Now, that's cool on the Bucks part because all it did was cost them a couple million bucks that they wouldn't have to pay out otherwise. So good on the Bucks for taking care of their guy. But I don't think the league, and I don't think the Players Association either, wants it to turn into a bunch of guys are on the court and then they're subbed out early. But I think what you may see is 
you may see, huh, why did so-and-so only play 15 minutes tonight? And that may be what we see more of is because I think if it becomes a whole thing where we want to make sure player X is still eligible for his, you know, awards. All right. Well, we can't sub them out right away because if you play under X minutes, maybe that's one of the conditions. It doesn't count or something like that. And you're just, you know, subbed without an injury. We'll have to see, or, you know, if my worry is if you start saying there's injury related conditions, we're going to get back to the old days of of back spasms. They're, they're out tonight. Right. And that's, that's not great either. So I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of withholding judgment on all this till we see what all the details are. Cause it just seems, this one seems like a little, there's just gotta be other stuff going on with this. Cause it just seems a little too, too cut and dry for me to be quite that simple. Yeah. I'm very sus on it. Because it yeah. does feel like there's a lot of ways to get around it. I think Joel Embiid would have not made Defensive Player of the Year twice. I think Draymond yeah, I think as so. well. Steph Curry, all NBA. And and do you think that this will obviously change how – does this help teams in some way too? Because they say to themselves, all right, well, we don't have to pay – Jalen Brown, a super max, because he's not an all NBA player. So we can re-sign him for X, Y, and Z instead of being hamstrung to pay him 40 million. Well, that's where it's going to become a major problem. And you'll have the MBPA screaming is if all right, we're in game 78 of the season and, oh man, he's almost there. All right, let's sit him out. Like, or we're just not going to play them. And you know, the team will be, well, that's a coach's decision and whatever it is. And if the minute the player's like, well, I'm not on board with this, you did it. So I'm not now eligible. That's part of why I have an issue with the, any of the contract stuff being tied to awards, because I also don't like the fact that right, we're both media members. I don't like the fact that the media is the one who are determining what player contracts are. Like it just feels weird to me. So I don't I don't love that whole idea of this. And I think if you want to do that, there there's ways you could do it that are slightly different where maybe you you know you 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 involve more people, you know, but anytime you start involving players and coaches, then there's agendas and all the voting stuff. And I've been in locker rooms with the all-star voting for the player vote where two guys who don't even play and are at the end of the bench are like, Hey, you vote for me, I'll vote for you. And that's why the player vote is kind of turned into a joke too. So I don't necessarily have a great fix for that, but it's just if we run into a games played thing where a guy gets sat to avoid hitting a threshold that would trigger a contract marker for him, that's going to be a major issue. And you're going to hear the screaming from the rooftops on that one. Do you think there's any chance that some of this changes before it gets ratified? I think there's a chance we could see some stuff tweaked. That's why, you know, I think their language in it was like, we have a tentative agreement was very clear. I think there's a reason why, well, if you made a tentative agreement on the wee hours of Saturday morning, like you could have presented it to the board of governors, presented it to the players by today, right? We're recording this on Monday and you could have had this whole thing buttoned up and done and, you know, start printing the copies on you know Tuesday we haven't gotten there because I think it's very clear to me tentative agreement means there's still some stuff we're working through. We're all the big stuff. We're there. It's now it's details. We're down to some of those things. I think some of this stuff might've even been floated out there as 
Let's see what the reaction is within yeah. the league, within the fans, within the media. Let's see what some of the stuff out there is. And then, oh, you know what? That got tweaked in a late version of whatever it was and those kind of things. I, I just think that's, you know, being a little bit smart about how you play it. And the other thing is, I think we've all learned through the COVID years, and I knew this from my prior career in doing contract negotiations. There's always a thing called a side letter, which is, hey, we all agreed to this. It's not going the way we want. Let's do a side agreement and an amendment, an addendum, whatever, whatever you want to call it, where we change whatever it is and we go. And the league and the Players Association has gotten very good through very unfortunate circumstances over the last uh, several years of doing that, you know, when necessary and being able to tweak, tweak their existing agreements rather than, I feel like if this was a decade ago, it would have been, nope. It is what it is, and that's it, and we're not changing it because they didn't have a good working relationship. That's one of the biggest things that's changed.